listeners, and welcome to the latest episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I remain your host, Jason Johnson Yellen, and I remain in the good company of Joshua Morrissey Hatton. Hello, Joshua. How are you, Jason? Oh, that's that's a different podcast. No, am I not allowed to ask how you are even on your podcast? Nope. All right. No, nope. this is a tight 35 in and out. Then I will just go back to nosing my Lagavulin 8-year-old. <laughs> I haven't had the chance to know his mind. I'm busy introducing you and you're putting up a fight. As regular listeners of the podcast know, each week one of us brings a news story, oftentimes whiskey-based, to the attention of the other. We read it in the first half, we riff on it in the second half, and we get out of here in a tight 35. Now, Joshua. That's me. I know you Mm -hmm. are the one in charge of bringing an article this week, and I know... You're leaning on somebody who may have had an issue with our tight 35. So take it away, my friend. What are we up to today? Well, this person uh, is also the inspiration of, of what's in my glass, a little, a little heavily peated Isla whiskey here. So we received an email from a listener who, like you said, did issue a complaint that he, he times all of his runs to uh, to our tight thirty five and and when we gave him I think a thirty three minute episode I think it made the BBC that's that's <laughs> that's my guess but anyway so so that person is the one and only uh, Ollie Chilton dear friend and avid listener of the podcast apparently he times his runs according to extra extra I hope he doesn't time his runs according to one nation under whiskey he'll have completed the london marathon by the end of an episode i'm just glad that it's his runs as in he's running not as in you know you've had one bad taco you know what i mean anyway listen it's always the bathroom with you <laughs> listen we actually received this email from ali on july 26 and here we are, well into uh, well into August, you know, a few days into August. I would I would argue. Sorry, September. So, so <laughs> here we are, well into September, and you'd say, well, why is this still a viable uh, email? Why is it still a viable article, etc.? Well, the fact of the matter is, one of the articles that Ali sent over. Uh, comes from July 22nd, and the other one is actually from an article that dates back to 2021. So we felt as if this conversation was a bit evergreen, right? Did, did, did I say it right? Did I use the right words, Jason? I think the topic is evergreen, the topic but I don't is know if evergreen. you're trying to make a, a moss-related pun. I'm not trying to make a moss-related pun. Well, you succeeded. In not making them anyway. So, <laughs> so Ali says, Dear fine people of one nation under whiskey. And, and, and just really quickly, full disclosure, Ali sent us a much longer email. We're only reading certain bits of it because some of it was for us and so on and so forth. Uh, Dear fine people of one nation under whiskey. I've taken the very grown-up decision to forgive you for shortchanging us on the last episode of Extra Extra and send you an article that I thought you would find interesting or, if like me, 
infuriating. And that was... Uh, <laughs> That's that's why we're only reading parts of his email. We couldn't get the entire thing past legal. <laughs> so the first article is a, is a BBC article. Now, Jason, should I read that BBC article and then go on with his email or just lay down the article? What do you think will be best for the listener? Hmm. Well, like the listener, I haven't heard the article. Let's let's get the article and then let's have a bit okay. of Ollie. Oh, so Ollie's going to come back and riff with us in the second half. Yeah, he's going to riff with us in the second half. Yeah. Oh, let's do it then. Yeah, let's let's get this article read. So the article comes from the BBC. Uh, again, this was uh, on the twenty second of July, and interestingly enough, almost all of the BBC articles that we've read on this podcast hadn't had a name attributed to it. This time, there is a name attributed. And that's one Catherine Latham. And the headline is, Whiskey Makers Are Turning Their Back on Pete. And then there's a, a wonderful picture of Annabelle Thomas from Nicknean with a big smile on her face. And below it, it says, The Nicknean Distillery sits above the sea, looking across the colored houses of Tobermory on the Isle of Mull. And so now the article starts with a quote. Quote, we want to change the way the world thinks about Scottish whiskey, says founder Annabelle Thomas. Quote continues, to create delicious spirits that exist in harmony with nature, putting planet, people, and profit on an equal footing. End quote. Miss Thomas set up Nicknean from her parents' farm on the west coast of Scotland in 2017 and launched her first whiskey in 2020. She never considered using peat. Traditionally, peat fires were used to dry malted barley. Quote, extracting peat to burn is not sustainable. Peat lands are created over a very long time. They're a great carbon sink and house enormous biodiversity. Uh, the quote continues, when cut and burned, it impacts both the biodiversity of the peat bog and releases carbon back into the atmosphere. End quote. However, Miss Thomas agrees using peat does make a big difference to the taste of whiskey, but it's not to everyone's liking. Quote, you can taste it immediately, she says. It tastes smoky. It tastes like TCP. Uh, really mm. quickly, Jason, give me, give me what TCP is again, and for our American listeners who may not be familiar. Uh, t TCP is an antiseptic mm. that we use. And, uh, yeah, it has a very, I, obviously I haven't lived in the UK and I haven't scraped my knee in Scotland in many a decade. Um, but it had that kind of medicinal twang to it. The, the band-aids we sometimes talk mm. about, the iodine we sometimes talk to. It's got that type of medicinal twang mm. is a good way to think about it. Delicious. I know, right? Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> More lagavulinate for me. Miss Thomas prefers her whiskies unpeated, so it was not a difficult decision for her to cut it out of the process entirely. Quote, there's a misconception that all scotch is peated, but there are many unpeated whiskies from Scotland, she says. I, this is, I, I know we're meant to leave the riffing to the second half, but how many times do you lead a tasting for people who are not very familiar with the whiskey and you say yeah there's about 120 distilleries in scotland eight of them do peat on a regular basis the rest 
not so much. Yep, boggles yep. my mind continually. Yep, 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 yep. So the article continues, whiskey made from fermented, often malted grains such as rye, wheat, corn, or barley has been distilled in Scotland for hundreds of years. In peated whiskey, malt grain is spread out over a perforated floor and underneath peat is burned, producing wafts of flavorsome smoke. I like the word flavorsome. Whiskey is made all over the world, and it's not just in Scotland that peat is considered a vital component. Belgrove, named after owner Peter Bignell's family farm, is a small distillery in the northeast coast of Tasmania. The distillery, converted from an old cobbled stone stable in 2010, is a little noisier than most distilleries. Quote, because of the chip oil burner, says Mr. Bignell, I love being creative. It's what drives my experimentation in the distillery. And that ends his quote. Uh, the article continues, Belgrove uses biofuel made from waste chip shop cooking oil. Chip shop cooking. So like French fries. Cooking oil. Yep. Okay. They grow their own grain, and at the end of the process, the spent mash is fed to the sheep. Using peat from the family farm, Mr. Bignell employs several unusual peating techniques in a bid to get more out of this precious resource. Quote, much of the smoking is done in a modified industrial clothes dryer, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the photos of that online? No, I haven't. This is my first they're time wild. hearing about this. Oh, they're I love wild. This. Yeah. Uh, the quote continues, I malt the grain in it and then smoke <laughs> the green malt without moving it to another vessel. I malt the grain in it, then smoke the green malt without moving it to another wow so he does the malting and the peating all in a clothes dryer amazing <laughs> the wet grain tumbles through the smoke he explains and to increase the smoke level he often rewets it quote rewetting the grain part way through the process produces much more smoke he says that's the that's the octomore angle that's how Jim McEwen found the way to get more uh, uh, phenols into the barley for Octomore. Just, was if you kept your moisture high, you could keep getting smoke in it. Right. It's when it dries out that it stops absorbing the phenols. Mm. Yeah, I always thought that was a really interesting take, and you don't hear anybody really talking about it. And so no. to hear Bignall talking about it is really cool. Yeah. Mr. Bignall also crushes dry malted grain and dampens it. Smoke is then passed through the damp grain bed. Quote, crushing the grain first means it absorbs a lot more smoke from the amount of peat. Another technique Mr. Bignell uses is to smoke the inside of a barrel before filling it with spirit. Quote, a lot of smoke is lost during fermentation and distillation. This is very true. Uh, by smoking a wet barrel... I found much more is retained than when you pass it through a still, though it results in a very different taste profile, he comments. Mr. Bignell has also found a way to eliminate the use of peat completely by burning sheep dung readily available on his farm. Wow. Uh, uh, and then as you scroll, you see this beautiful picture of some peat lens 
uh, which is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Some sheep dung being burned. <laughs> <laughs> you see a picture of a sheep just taking a shit? No. Um, petlands are naturally wet ecosystems. In these water-saturated soils, there is little oxygen available for the microbes that break down organic materials, so decomposition happens very slowly. Remarkably well-preserved bodies have been recovered from peat bogs thousands of years after they were burned. This lack of decomposition means the carbon contained in all the plant and animal matter that makes up the peat can't escape back into the atmosphere. Interesting. Peatlands cover just 3% of land across the globe, but store at least twice as much carbon as the world's forests. They also play a vital role in filtering water. In Ireland and the UK, peatlands are responsible, are responsible for around 85% of drinking water. In addition, peatlands are home to an array of adapted species, many rare, threatened, and in decline. So the environmental impact of damaged peatlands is multifold. Angela Gallego Sala is the professor of ecosystems and biochemical cycles at the University of Exeter. She studies peatlands across the world. She says, quote, globally, the whiskey industry uses a tiny amount of peat, but the issue goes beyond carbon, end quote. To extract peat bricks, explains Professor Gallego mm. Sala, you have to drain the whole peatland. That's, That's it, yep. Yeah. That is a major wrinkle. Yep. Quote, you affect not just the area of extraction, but the whole peatland, she says. You break the ecosystem. You lose the biodiversity, the water cycling, the carbon cycling. Uh, Professor Gallego Sala says we have a choice to make. Quote, we may love whiskey so much that it is worth doing, but we need to make an informed decision. Fet and that ends her quote. Fettercairn, a distillery in the Scottish Highlands, was founded 175 years ago. In recent years, they've been experimenting with flavors from wood charring uh, with whiskey aged in barrels made from locally sourced oaks. Nikki Cummings, White & Mackay's global brand ambassador, says, quote, Pete is a fundamental aspect of the whiskey-making industry. Each distillery has a history, and for many distilleries, that history involves peat, end quote. However, she sees whiskey drinkers becoming increasingly open-minded to new flavors. Quote, at Federkern, peat has never been the focus as we have a tropical style of flavor, she says. We're building towards the future with local oak and grain, so hopefully we'll still be doing it hundreds of years from now. So can whiskey lovers learn to live without peat? Should they? Professor Gallego Sala says, quote, the ecosystems are resilient, they can bounce back, but we don't have much time to act. Protecting peatlands is one of the easier ways to make sure we reach net zero. And we're almost done here. Back in West Scotland, Miss Thomas, from Nicknean, sees an evolving whiskey industry and is optimistic. Quote, I hope the whiskey industry will move quickly to more sustainable practices, replacing fossil fuels to power the distilleries and addressing sustainable agricultural practices, end quote, end article. Yeah, thank you for reading through that, Joshua. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and riff with Ollie. 
over email. it's time we got our riff on in this episode (laughs) but yeah while you and i will remain patient for a little longer let's hear mr ollie chilton's bit of riffing that he committed to in the part of his email that we cleared past legal so ollie has a little riffing here and he says and this is specific to the bbc piece he says The above article by the BBC seems largely to be a PR piece plus some very lazy journalism. Indeed, maybe the headline could read, People who burn down trees say using peat reduces the carbon sink. Or indeed, people in glass houses chuck partially decomposed logs. (laughs) Well, well, hold on, hold on for a second. Let's pause there. (laughs) And I know Ollie's got a lot more riffing to do, but let's pause there and say, one of the things that I found missing is hearing from producers who are using peat, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's interesting at Nick Nian, Ms. Thomas doesn't like peated whiskey mm-hmm. and so won't be using it. Uh, Peter Bignall has a proclivity to smoke using sheep dung, which is right there on his farm. <laughs> Fettercairn have this tropical spirit that they're not peating with. So if in each of those three instances, you can walk away from the use of peat. You can say, oh, the whole industry should move move away from this. If if the article comes up short in my mind, it's that we're not hearing from the Kilholmans and the Lagavulins and the Ardbegs and, you know, even Ardmore, right? Those producers... Mm who are using peat and have it as part of their tradition. And and I was thinking about this. You and I have covered this in Extra X, where we're looking at trees and the, the environmental impact of removing trees and the shortages with barrels. And, and we have suggested, you know, does the bourbon industry need to rethink its use sure. of new charred oak? Now here we are, and I think it's a, a very legitimate question, does the Scotch whiskey industry, or the corner of it that uses peat, does it need to rethink its practices? I think the answer is yes. Yeah. And I think they are. But we'll get into that more in, in just a bit. Okay, well, let, let me let me go on a little bit with, with Ali, because he has, he has a little bit more that he's going to read here. And then he provided us with an article from Whiskey Magazine that I, that I think you want to bring in a little bit here. He says... As I believe is very well documented, the Scotch whiskey industry is working on peat regeneration. Indeed, there is a good article, though probably a little long for extra extra. And then he puts a little parenthetical comment, though you do owe us a few minutes. And so this article is from Whiskey (laughs) Magazine. And would you mind uh, bringing in the parts you thought were relevant? Yeah, first of all, I will say to our listeners, please go source this for yourself. It's Whiskey Magazine. It's entitled The Problem with Pete. It's in a series called Sustainability Mm -hmm. within Whiskey Magazine. And the author is Philippe Schreiberg. F-E-L-I-P-E, Philippe. 
S-C-H-R-I-E-B-E-R-G, Schreiberg. And it's thorough. And Ollie is spot on. It is too long for extra, extra, even though we can magically put everything into a tight 35. Anything and everything. Anything. But Philippe goes through Pete and the issues, as, as came out in the BBC article there, he also makes reference, and, and this is to Ollie's point, of a Pete action plan that the SWA was working on in 2021. And I went to the SWA site mm. and I put in the search terms Pete action plan and I didn't get any one document back in return. However, there's a host of articles at SWA about sustainability. And one line that they do have on their website is, we will extract peat responsibly and play an active role in conserving and restoring Scotland's peatland by 2035. Now, on the SWA side, there's there's a lot more going on there. But from Philippe's article, I wanted to go read more for myself. Okay, okay. Uh, So that's going on. So so Philippe mentions the peat action plan. I think that speaks to what Ollie is saying, where the industry is is working on this. And then, and, you know, when you do an an episode like this, it's good to throw some numbers at people. So uh, Philippe talks about the use of lowland raised bogs and their place in peat extraction. Hmm. Interestingly, at the very bottom of the article, there is a clarification. And the clarification is not all peat used for whiskey production is sourced from lowland raised bogs. Mm-hmm. In general, blanket bogs are much more common than the raised bogs. And then he says, for example, St. Fergus in Aberdeenshire is a true lowland raised bog. <laughs> I nearly said blog. <laughs> it's a bog. But Castle Hill on Isla and Hobbister Moor on Orkney are blanket bogs. So for us and for listeners of the podcast who have the pleasure of being on Isla quite frequently, Mm -hmm. that uh, Castle Hill uh, is a blanket bog. And Uh, we're about to talk about lowland bogs. Lowland raised bogs cover only 5,800 hectares in the UK of which 2,500 are in Scotland. The whisky industry extracts approximately 0.03 million cubic metres, representing less than 4% of the almost 0.8 million cubic metres of total peat extracted. Hmm. Mostly from this rare, rare source, in 2014, which is the most recent year for which figures have been issued by the UK's last mineral extraction survey. So, one of the things we talk about constantly on Extra Extra is the whiskey world has changed a lot since 2005 and since 2010 and since 2015. And so to hear 2014, 4% of extracted peat mm-hmm. is for the whiskey industry. Sounds like we're a little 
drop in the bucket there. Yeah. But we're certainly one that gets a lot of eyeballs and certainly down to, as you said earlier, rightly so, Scotch whiskey is the peated one. Yeah, I don't like Scotch whiskey because it's all peated, right? Yeah. No, it's a small percentage of the industry that peats and that small corner of the industry is using a small percentage of total peat extracted mm -hmm. in the United Kingdom. So as we always talk about ourselves, we're a niche of a niche and now here we are with peat being a niche of a niche, but mm -hmm. it is still hugely important environmentally speaking those peat bogs are doing a lot of heavy lifting for us as a carbon sink uh, and that part shouldn't be overlooked so let me just scroll ahead a little bit here i just want to get some of the industry mentioned in here because i think as ollie rightly points out the users of peat don't really feature in the bbc piece mm. um but they are aware of what they're doing and they are aware of the impacts and they are trying to do better. So here we go. The RSPB, which is the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds in the United oh, yeah. Kingdom, yep. has indeed been involved with the industry on several projects, including, together with Diageo's brands, the 2017 restoration of 280 hectares of peatland on Isla, as a feature of Lagavulin's 200th anniversary celebrations. More recently, through Johnny Walker, Diageo has also... I just threw in a, a has for the fun of it. Diageo <laughs> also committed to restoring 88 hectares alongside the RSPB in the Cairngorms National Park at Anlerg. Okay. In its 2020 annual report, Edrington owner of McAllen Highland Park in Glenrothes, among other brands, stated that its partnership with the RSPB has enabled the continuing conservation of the Hobbister Moor peat extraction site as a bird sanctuary while also providing peat for Highland Park's whiskey. Under its famous grouse brand, the company has donated a total of £680,000 to bird conservation since 2008, which has included the restoration of 67 hectares of mm. peatland. And to be clear, bird sanctuaries are wonderful. They're a small corner of that ecosystem. Yeah, sure. Right? So we're not suggesting the problem has been solved by yeah. creating a bird sanctuary, but it's one corner of it. And so if that's Diageo and that's Edrington, again, as part of reading around for, for this episode, we don't normally do PR pieces, so we're only going to use a small corner of this. But Suntory and Beam Suntory announced major commitment to restore and conserve peatlands and conserve watersheds in Scotland. Uh, this is from October of 2021. Oh, okay. The companies plan to invest more than $4 million in the restoration and conservation of 1,300 hectares of peatlands by 2030 enough to produce the same amount of peat that Beam Centauri harvests every year in making its Scotch whiskies on an ongoing basis. Once restored and conserved, peatland naturally accumulates by one millimetre per year and that one millimetre growth spread across 1,300 hectares will equate to Beam Centauri's annual use. 
Suntory and Beam Suntory will also undertake new watershed conservation projects at various locations in Scotland. The first peatland water sanctuary project is due to begin near the Ardmore Distillery in November 2021, with subsequent projects across other sites in Scotland to follow in the coming years. Again, hmm. we're not here to carry water for Suntory or Beam Suntory, hmm. but there's another acknowledgement of work to be done around peat extraction and peat extraction sites in Scotland. So there is awareness there that something needs to be done. Which Ali alludes to in his email to us. There's a part where he says, he says, I find it a little sad that this art that in this article it feels like they're bashing an age-old practice that an industry is already looking at ways of preserving in a green way or a greener way. Um, I, a question popped in my mind as you were reading that where it talks about, you know, between 3 and 4% of the overall peat extraction from these bogs is used for, for scotch whiskey or producing whiskey. Um, but it doesn't talk about the other 96 to 97% of the peat being yeah. extracted. Uh, horticulture. Yeah. A lot of it goes off to garden centers. People break it down, put it into their gardens. Um, I actually, just through sheer coincidence, uh, this past weekend read Gathering Moss, the mm. 2003 collection of essays by Dr. Robin Kimmerer. It is E-R-E-R -E at Come the end. Come on. Kimmerer. <laughs> Dr. Robin Kimmerer. And she actually has a chapter on sphagnum moss. Okay. And sphagnum moss, famously uh, a, a portion of the peat that they talk about in Lefroig circles, mm. bringing some of that medicinal component uh, to, the, to the equation. And, and so throughout Gathering Moss... It's an incredible book, and I highly, highly recommend it to the listeners. But she talks about moss, the world of moss, the mm. uses of moss, even the theft of naturally occurring moss. Oh. And, and garden centers are places where you encounter a lot of moss use. And so... Again, right? That, that's what I was meaning in my point earlier about the industry, the whiskey industry has all eyeballs on it. Mm -hmm. And yet, just like when we drive our car places or just like when we take the plastic cover off a prepared substance we've purchased from a grocery store mm -hmm. um, or you forget to take your reusable bag to the store and you walk out with a plastic bag in your hands, right? We're all continually contributing to environmental degradation. Yeah. And we all need to be much, much, much better at all times. And so to cast a light on the whiskey industry, yeah, it's, it's very real. It's there. Mm -hmm. They're using a lot. They're 4% of a total peat use industry. Yeah, they're 4% they're and they're cognizant of the effects of what they're doing and and what that does to the peatlands and they're putting plans into play that will have regenerative results by 2035 i mean that that you know it's so interesting 
how the the BBC article really doesn't touch any of that. It's almost written as if it's got no knowledge of any of that. Right. And there was actually something that I encountered at, along with my reading here. And off the top of my head, I can't quite remember who it was who said it. But there is talk of a complete ban on horticulture extraction of peat. Mm. And so if if you have that 96% get banned, you're really going to have eyeballs on that currently 4% that the, the whiskey industry is using. Yeah. And, and and then we're back to traditional practices and how do we how do we move forward with a with a known product while being cognizant of things we were we were never aware of, right? Mm. Peat just grew in the ground. You went and got it. You lived on Isla. You dried it. You stuck it in as your heat source, right? That's how you survived. That's how you got from yeah. A to B to yeah, C. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're on a small croft. You needed to dry your barley. You had your peat fire. You combined the two. For us to sit in 2022 with all of our knowledge is it's tricky to say, well, let's continue on, but let's be better. Let's, Let's be, be more yeah. aware. Yeah. <sighs> I've literally no idea how long this episode is running, but I know it's going to be a tight 35 when it completes post. I can't say how long the episode is going to be either. My guess, though, is that when Ollie hits the road, it may feel <laughs> like he's running a couple a couple minutes longer than he usually is. But I can guarantee you, Jason, this is a, a straight, tight 35. One day we're going to drop a five hour extra extra and Ollie's going to run to the north of Scotland. (laughs) 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 And we will remind him of those two minutes that he felt he was shortchanged in his run that one time. That one time. Let me get you out of here on this because I've been thinking it a little bit. Is I've quoted it a hundred times and on wax 101. Mark Watt, would you drink whiskey if it if it didn't contain alcohol? Uh, is a great question. Yeah. Would you drink peated whiskey if that smoke, which we know we could get from a host of places, Oof. including sheep dung, but that's not what I'm thinking about. Would you continue to drink peated whiskey if that peat source was something other than a peat bog? But it provided the same flavor? Yeah. And this isn't like an additive. It's just a different source to smoke the barley, but it gets you the same hey, result. This, this is your answer. You frame it however you like. Uh, I, I think in this case, I would be okay with that. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're supposing a world where something like that can even happen, and, and I just don't think that's the case. I mean... You have different sources of smoke. You've got different sources of peat. But for me, it sounds like liquid smoke, Mm -hmm. right? And so as vegetarians, we can take that liquid smoke and we can make a dish a little smoky. I would think for a meat eater who likes a smoker and they like their meat to come out of a smoker, liquid smoke is an abomination. So... I think there are ways that yeah. it could be produced, but it's non-traditional. And then the question is, well, how traditional can we be? Yeah, it's 
it's difficult to say what traditional practice is okay getting past that tradition, you know, and, and I, in my mind, I think getting past age, that's, that's a tough one for most. It's a tough one for me. I'm, I, you know, I, we've said this before, we've tasted bespoken stuff and it was perfectly quaffable, delicious little stuff that you'd be happy to share with people. But there's something to be said for properly aged whiskey. And like, <laughs> like before, when, when you and I were trying to figure out what we wanted to pour for this recording, I'm looking at ages, I'm looking at year of distillation, I'm looking at cast types. And like all of that means a lot. And all of that is very traditional. Um, you know, I, I know MacMira burns unusual things when they do their peated whiskeys sometimes, right? And I know that you've got some distilleries that will use different types of yeast to get to certain flavors. Like, like some of that going outside of the box of tradition, I think, is acceptable so long as it's expanding the flavor pie without shitting on a historical practice. Yep. And when the world's burning for our kids, we can say, we did it for tradition. 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 Yes. Let's get out of here on that note. If you want to write in like Ollie did, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com, no Ian Whiskey. You can contact us, info at singlecastnation.com. These are conversations that are going to continue. We love having them with one another. We love having them with industry friends. We love having them with our dear listeners. They're all going to continue. And how do we change and how do we evolve in a changing world? The questions are there. Yep. Something for us all to think about. Until next time, though. Peace. Peace. Peace.